Prinny and Samson are a missionary couple serving, in, serving God in a very risky place in the central part of India. They got married in 1998 and they were excited about planting a church in this region. About 12 months later, Prinny was diagnosed with SLE, systemic lupus erythematosus. And that is an immune, autoimmune disease in which the body's immune system mistakenly attacks healthy tissue. It can affect the skin, joints, kidneys, brain, and other organs. Doctors were not sure how long she would survive. Samson was devastated and heartbroken. His dream of doing missions with the wife that God had given him looked almost over in 12 months. It was difficult for Samson to see his wife suffer and to be involved in church planting in this difficult village. Samson was not sure why God would allow this in his life. He knew God was good, but things didn't look good for him. He believed God never forsakes his children, but right now he felt very lonely. In fact, he was scared. What do you do when difficulties come your way? What do you do when difficulties mean that you have to go through loneliness, heartache, emotional strain, grief, unrest, and no hope? What do you do when your life experiences conflicts with what you actually believe? You believe God is near to those who call on Him, but He hasn't answered your cries for help. You believe God watches over you, but there's so much of injustice and unfairness happening around you and in your life. You believe God is faithful, but when you need Him the most, He seems to be so far away. If this describes you today, if you're surrounded with difficulties or you're battling loneliness, heartache, depression, hopelessness, or you are anxious this morning, I want to encourage you from God's word. Here's my main point for the sermon. When we go through difficulties, and we will, when we go through difficulties, God's faithfulness can be our comfort and matter of praise. When we go through difficulties, God's faithfulness can be our comfort and matter of praise. The passage we'll be looking at this morning is Psalm 22. So will you please turn with me to Psalm 22. Here we will find a man who is lonely, uh, who, who is weak, who is struggling and at unrest because of problems around him. But we'll also see a man who clings to God 
all through the while. So I have three points for my sermon. Under the main point. Number one, broken by difficulties. And that's in verses 1 to 21. Broken by difficulties. Number two, strengthened by God's faithfulness. And that's in the second part of verse 21 to 26. He's strengthened by God's faithfulness. And the last point is the blessings of God's faithfulness. And that's in verses 27 to 31. Broken by God's faithfulness, sorry, broken by difficulties, strengthened by God's faithfulness, and the blessings of God's faithfulness. Let's look at point one. The first 21 verses, broken by difficulties. The first 21 verses of the psalm is a lament. A psalm of lament is when an individual or a congregation of the nation comes to the Lord and they plead with God for help because they're going through some difficult situation. And they praise God for answering their prayers. And so in the first 21 verses, you see David expressing his grief and agony by asking questions to God. He also confesses his faith in Yahweh and he pleads for God's intervention. So you will see these three things sandwiched in the first 21 verses. He confesses his faith. He he asks questions because he's grieved in heart and he pleads for God's intervention. The psalm begins with questions. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, I, 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 but I find no rest. David, it's interesting that David begins his lament with a cry to my God. And in his, in his cry, he indicates his personal intimacy with God. And because God is so intimate to him, it is unbearable that God seems far from him. It seems that God has abandoned his child. And because... God has not answered in spite of his groaning. It's an interesting word that David uses there for groaning. It has the idea of physical pain and confusion. God listens to David groan. And he's silent. David finds no rest. When our daughter Irene was two and a half years old, we were in Tamil Nadu in the southern part of India, and this was the rainy season, and um, we had power cut, and there were, uh, uh, we had prepared ourselves to sleep a little earlier. There was lightning and there was thunder, and both these would, uh, would scare Irene. So we decided to take her and have her sleep between daddy and, and mommy. But still, the flashes of light at night and the loud resounding noise would scare her and she would scream until daddy holds her. She, she gets quiet. She's at rest because daddy just held her. Daddy's close to her. I'm safe. But David is at unrest because God is silent. And if you go to verses 3 to 5, this, this unrest seems to increase because what he believes seems to contradict with what is happening in his life. And so he's painfully dismayed. See, when the Jewish people pray to God, this is what David says, God, my fathers pray to you, 
in the past and you answered them, you rescued them. You didn't want them to be ashamed, but I, when I cried to you, you, you're silent. What makes things worse is that this needy man is being despised and mocked and his faith is used against him in verses 6 to 8. And so David feels like a, a worm below the status of a human being, worthless, defenseless, and treated with utter contempt. So when people see David, they mock him. And his pain increases because they make fun of his faith in God. Where's your God if you say that he favors you? Where's your God if you believe that he saves those who trusted him? Isn't he the God who hears you? Where is he? Now you and I may not have people mocking us with these kind of questions. Not necessarily. But it is possible that we have been asking ourselves these questions in the midst of our difficulties. Where is my God? The one whom I believe. Whom I need the most now. When I need him the most. Why is he silent? Why can't he just act? Why? David decides to take time to think of his past in verses 9 and 10. And he remembers that God was so near to him right from the time that he was born. But now, when David needs God the most, trouble was near and God was far. David had no one to help him. And therefore, he's, he's scared and he's weak. The man is broken. The, the difficulty in David's life now is because of his enemies. And he describes them in verses 12 to 20. He calls them the bulls of Bashan. The bulls of Bashan are bulls that were really big in size. David is trying to say that my enemies are really strong. How are the weak, flimsy kind? They're strong people. And he says they're like dogs and they're, they're like lions. They, they, they roam around him with evil intentions and look for ways to kill him. One can only imagine the plight of David. He's, he's trapped. When he looks around, all that he sees are his enemies and they're out to kill him. This guy isn't just broken. He's scared. He's scared. Death is right in front of him. And so as he goes through this situation, he loses strength and he's physically weak. He knows that he's closer to death unless God acts soon. So David is desperate for help. And so he cries out in desperation, verses 19 and 20. Come quickly to my aid, God. Come quickly. Just, just save me. Save my precious soul. Friends, it's possible that some of us seated here this morning are facing difficulties now, situations where you're totally surrounded by difficulties. It could be that you have been praying and God seems to be silent. It could be that you have been pleading and waiting for long and God hasn't intervened yet. It could be that you're looking for a change in the situation and nothing has happened and our, our situations could vary. 
For some of us, it could be rejection because of our faith in Jesus Christ. For some of us, it could be rejection in our office, in our workplace, because of integrity in your life. For others, it could be a particular job situation. It could be a difficult marriage. It could be child-rearing. It could be a health issue. You've prayed to God for help, and nothing has happened. God seems to be far. Are you feeling frustrated today? Weak? Hurt? Lonely? Anxious? Unsafe about, un- feeling unsafe? Uncertain about future? Well, let me encourage you from the psalm. There are two lessons we learned from David in the first 21 verses. Number one, your faith matters. Your faith matters. In, in the midst of your difficulty, who you believe in and what you believe matters. So David believed that this God he's praying to is, is Yahweh. He's a covenant-keeping God. Even though it may look like he's absent, he does not allow his situation to define who his God is. God is still my God to David. He may seem, he may look distant, but he is still my personal God. What David does here is he clings to his faith and does not abandon it. Friends, fight your fears with your faith. I'm thinking of Jehoshaphat. This is Second Chronicles chapter 20. There are three kingdoms coming against Judah. The text says that Jehoshaphat is scared. The guy is afraid. He's the king. And he decides to fast and lead the nation in prayer. I'm going to paraphrase his prayer for you. This is how he prays. Lord, aren't you the one who is out there in heaven ruling this world? Aren't you the one who defeated all our enemies and brought us to this land? Aren't you the one who blessed us thus far and have kept us? Lord, we are powerless and our eyes are on you. Your faith matters in the most difficult of circumstances. Fight your doubts with your doctrine. In your most pressing need. It is your belief that will hold you. Remind yourself who God is. Two. Pray without ceasing. The guy is crying the first 21 verses like day and night just crying. David does not cease to pray when the God doesn't respond. He actively pursues God. And in his prayer, he expresses his brokenness, raising questions, concerns, and affirming who God is. Prayers are a good indicator of our faith. They reveal our heart's condition. How much we really depend on God and how much we really enjoy our communion with God. The experience of David teaches us that prayer is persistent pursuit of God. It is an expression of our delight in God, irrespective of our circumstances. 
Now, brothers and sisters, please don't let your difficulty take you away from God. May it take you to God. May this season be a time where your faith in God grows. Please don't stop praying. Prayerful people are hopeful people. As we go through the psalm, we understand that David isn't just broken by difficulties. He is strengthened by God's faithfulness. And that's our second point. This is the second part of verse 21 to 26. Strengthened by God's faithfulness. The, the mood changes in the second part of verse 21. David says, you have rescued me. God has finally intervened. David is just so excited that he wants to talk about God's name to his people. And so he says in verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Talking about God's name means talking about God's nature, who he is. David wants to tell his people what God is like. He is a covenant-keeping God. He is a faithful God. So look at verse 24. He says, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. Grace. Hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. God's deliverance, God's work, God's intervention, bring him praise. The news was important for David. It was also an important message to the nation of Israel. Because David is just so strengthened by God's faithfulness. He is so full of praise. And he wants to talk big about God to people around him. He wants people to see his God, consider his God, and glory in this God. David also considers that his experience would encourage the afflicted. And so he says in verse 26, he calls for the celebration. In verse 26 he says, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. People who are broken will be strengthened as they hear David's testimony about God. I want to consider three ways in which we can apply this to our lives today. Number one, reach out to help. This is such an important aspect of community life. When you see people struggle, you want to encourage them with the story of your salvation. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14, verse 14, we urge you brothers, admonish, Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Friends, if, if you know of anyone who is struggling right now, please don't keep away from them. Reach out to them. Involve in God conversations with them. Point their attention to God. They need God. And only truths about God can strengthen the weak. Talk of God's work in your life. Talk of his, his faithfulness, His care, His patience, His goodness, and His love toward you. Talk about how it was worth waiting, trusting for God to save you. Encourage them and tell them that they, are not, they should not be people without 
hope. The community of God's people is filled with stories of God's faithfulness. Reach out to people. To reach out for help. Reach out for help. For those of us who feel hopeless this morning, who feel weak and who are struggling with anxiety and fear and grief, maybe it has to do with your job, maybe it has to do with a financial burden, maybe it's an issue at home within your family, please don't hide your struggles from your brothers. Ask for help. Talk to us. We want to serve you and help you walk with Jesus. Please don't isolate yourself from the church. You need the church. The sins of disbelief and and anxiety and fear of man and bitterness can take hold of your heart. We need each other to speak into our lives so that we stay focused and we are firm in the faith. We... We want to help you fight your doubts, your fears and hopelessness and disbelief. We want to pray with you and for you. Reach out for help. Talk to your community group leader. Talk to your prayer partner. Talk to the one with whom you read your word on a weekly basis. Talk to your elders. We want to help you. Thirdly, I'm struggling with this. The third one is not an application. It's a caution. Anytime we find ourselves in a difficulty, it is easy to think that God has abandoned us. That he has forgotten us. Or that he is punishing us. We, we feel we have been stripped of happiness and comfort and ease when we face difficulty. But friends, God is not working for our comfort and ease. He's working for our growth. Change. He's like this surgeon who operates on us to bring about healing. And that is a painful process. He takes out the block, block of, of selfishness within our blood vessels. Taking out the self-righteous tumor that's been growing for years within us. Operating on our eyes so that we begin to see things more clearly. Paul Tripp calls this the uncomfortable grace. And he defines it this way. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. I'll say that once more. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Struggles, difficulties, pain is not God's judgment. It is grace then. It is grace that moves God to ordain struggles in my life to produce holiness in me. Brothers and sisters, difficulties are not reasons to judge God and question his love and faithfulness. They are signs of how zealous he is for our holiness. I'm thinking of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. God ordained this thorn in the flesh. I have no clue what the thorn is. No one does. But we do know that the thorn in his life made him uncomfortable. There was a struggle in his life and he pleaded with the Lord to free him from this thorn. But the Lord decided to do otherwise. 
Listen to the words of Jesus. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul concludes, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So here's what Jesus is saying. Paul, I want to produce humility in you. And for that, I'm going to take you through a difficult path. It may not look good, but it will produce good in you. Therefore, Paul, what you need right now is not the absence of pain. What you need is the presence of grace. And you will have it. Grace that will take you through it and grace that will produce the fruit of humility in you. God's faithfulness towards Paul in that difficult circumstance was Paul's strength in the midst of his struggles. So our our, our struggles are not about God punishing us or judging us. He's already punished our sin in Jesus Christ. He cannot forsake us because he put our sin on Jesus and forsook him on our behalf. Because of Jesus, God is for us. He can't be against us. He delights in us. And as someone said, though he loves us as we are, he loves us too much to leave us that way. He wants us to be like Jesus. Let me share four questions that may help you in your struggles. You can ask yourself or help your friends. Number one, in your situation right now, what is God revealing to you about yourself? In your situation right now, What is God revealing to you about yourself? Two, in your situation right now, what is God revealing to you about himself? About himself. Three, how has your struggles, your grief and your pain, changed your understanding of the gospel and your appreciation for the gospel? How has your struggles helped you increase in your understanding of the gospel and your appreciation for the gospel? And fourth, how has your struggles affected your faith in God? How has your struggles affected your faith in God? We have seen that while difficulties can break us, God's faithfulness strengthens us in the midst of our struggles. But now David talks about the blessings of God's faithfulness, and that leads us to the last point of our sermon. And that's in verses 27 to 31. The blessings of God's faithfulness. Interestingly, David's vision is that people beyond the nation of Israel will turn to God and worship him. And that's in verse 27. He says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. This this verse echoes God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. God promised to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed. I will be their God and they will be my people. But how will that happen? How is that going to happen? 
You see, God called the nation of Israel to himself and he wanted them to be a faithful witness to the nations around them. So Isaiah 43 and verse 12, God says, you are my witnesses. Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 6, after instructing the nation to be obedient, he says, obey so that all the peoples of the earth, nations, may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. But the nation of Israel failed. Miserably. They failed. Would their disobedience prevent God's promise from fulfillment? Would their disobedience prevent the nations from knowing God? Absolutely no. Israel's failure will not make God a failure. God remains faithful to God's promise because God is faithful. God will bring about the promise that God has promised to Abraham. How? How is he going to do that? God sent his son, Jesus. who is also the son of David. Jesus came so that now the nations can come to know the one and only true God. You see, the nations of which we are all a part of are no different from Israel. The, the, the nation consists of ungodly sinners. We are rebels. We have all lived in rebellion against God in our thoughts, in our actions, in our attitude. In fact, Romans 5 says God sees us as his enemies. A holy and righteous God cannot overlook sin. So the Bible says that the wages of sin, of rebellion against God, is death. And that's an eternal separation from this holy God, facing his holy wrath for all of eternity. But this God is merciful. He sent his son Jesus so that the nations can know this God. Jesus came so that those who are separated from God can finally know God. For Jesus to accomplish this, he took our sins upon himself. He was scorned, afflicted, smitten, crushed, wounded, and oppressed well, David offered his, his prayer when he was surrounded by his enemies. Jesus offered the prayers of, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he was pinned to the cross by his enemies. David prayed so that God would save him from his suffering. Jesus prayed when he suffered as a suffering servant for his enemies. Jesus cried in agony when the sins of his enemies were laid on him. In taking the weight of our sin and the weight of God's wrath upon himself. I cannot understand this, but he felt abandoned and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In fact... Jesus was mocked for his faith when he was on the cross. The people wagged their heads and they said, Hey, he trusts in God. Let him deliver him now. For if he desires him, who is the one who is talking about God? Why, why can't God just rescue him? They're wagging their heads. Jesus is on the cross. Dying. Which sins on him. Whereas 
God rescued David from death in this situation. God did not rescue Jesus from death. He crushed Jesus to death so that we will not have to die. So we will have life eternal. God dealt with our sins on Jesus so that now we can finally know God and enjoy God. Friends, if if there's anyone over here this morning who do not know this God, may I encourage you to turn from your sin, repent, turn from your rebellion against God and believe in what Jesus has done for you. You can, you can really know this God and live in a relationship with this God because of Jesus. God's love for you can be a matter of praise today in your life. The gospel of Jesus is good news for those who have believed in him too. It is good news for salvation and it is good news in the midst of difficulty. And I want to share Three ways in which the gospel encourages us in our difficulty. I want to close my sermon with that. Number one, Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. Jesus isn't just the high priest. Hebrews 4.15 says Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. He is God and because he took upon himself our human nature and still continues to possess it, he is able to sympathize with all of us in all our weaknesses. He understands perfectly the difficulties of our situations and the inner struggles of our souls. That means he is concerned about us when we are troubled and when we are tempted. But Jesus isn't just the person who is just concerned. He moves out of sympathy. He moves so that he provides and meets with what we need in the midst of our struggles. So if you are strengthened this morning, and you are in a difficult situation, that's because the sympathetic high priest has given you what you need. And if you're weak today, let me encourage you, hold fast to Jesus. Draw near to the throne of grace where you will find mercy in our time of need. Run to this throne. We have access to God is not finished with us yet. You have a sympathetic high priest too. God is not finished with us yet. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ. So when we embrace Christ, I'm using Paul Tripp's language, when we embrace Christ, God binds himself to us. This is grace. God commits himself to change me from within daily. God, the sovereign one, devotes himself to form within me and you a heart that's patient, kind, gentle, humble, and faithful. So it is his faithfulness to us that produces faithfulness in us. So no matter what, no matter what you're facing today, difficulty, job, home, family, health issue, 
discouraged, remind yourself that God isn't absent. He is present in us, with us, working in us. And this is a blessing of his faithfulness toward us. Do you know what his faithfulness actually means? It means that God will not quit until every bit of his work is complete in each of his children. God cannot quit. That's his commitment. The blessings of God's faithfulness. And third, the future is glorious. Chris read for us Romans 8 verse 18 and he he, he read, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are worth are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Sin has destroyed all of God's good creation. Sin has hurt us. And therefore we groan now because of the struggles around us, because of the struggles within us. And we yearn for a day when sin will be no more. Friends, the gospel tells us That because of Jesus' work on the cross, all of creation will be free from bondage to corruption. So John says in Revelation 21, and the first few verses, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There is going to be a day when God will free us of our sins and our struggles. And it is because of Jesus. Our glorious future with Jesus is a blessing of God's faithfulness to us. Fix your eyes on the glorious future that we have with God because of Jesus. Samson and Prini are still serving God together. It's been more than 17 years. They have a little girl named Amy. Prinny still struggles. Samson loves to smile out of true joy. The last I heard about her was a week back that she is really weak and in terrible pain. Do you want to hear the words of Prinny? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not pain. Not loneliness, not sickness, not even death. Jesus is enough. Here's a person whose joy is greater than the grief in her life. She's joyful because of Jesus. Friends, if you're here this morning and, and you've, you have no hope, I want to point your attention to Jesus. Will, will you trust God's goodness even though... Situations haven't changed for you. 
Will you fight your doubts and anxiety with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you look to Jesus and see that all, everything that God has done for us in him? Will we cling to Jesus and confess? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we go through struggles, God's faithfulness can be a matter of comfort and praise. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for it reminds us how much we are in need of you. We thank you because you took the initiative to to meet with our greatest need in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you not only saved us to yourself, but you allow sovereignly, you allow struggles to produce holiness in us. We thank you that you are committed to this task. You are a faithful God. Protect our hearts, therefore, from sin. Save us from the lies that battle within our hearts that say that God has abandoned or forgotten or punishing us. By your Spirit's work, comfort us with the truths of the glorious gospel of Jesus. We thank you, God, our Father, that one day you will take us to be with you. And we can't wait for that day. In Jesus' name. Amen.